0: All right. Good evening. Good evening. We are going to be continuing our study on creation science, but we're departing a little bit from Henry Morris's book that we've been going through so far. And we're going to talk about a very specific narrow topic. We're going to talk about the meaning of the Hebrew word. And Henry Morris is going to be referred to because his view we're going to treat today. We're going to look at what he had to say about it. But the word in question in the King James Bible is firmament, and it's translated often as expanse in other modern Bible translations. So we're going to see why is there a difference? What does firmament even mean in English? What does it mean in Hebrew? That's what we're going to be talking about today. So in Genesis chapter 1, in verse number 6, it says, God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. And let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. So on the second day, God creates the firmament. In Hebrew, that word is Raqia. And he called the firmament, it says in verse 8, heaven, which is shamayim. So we need to talk about what Rakia means and why is it important. Now, among creation scientists, studying this term is sort of like a project to better understand the pre-flood environment. But among critical scholarship, this term has a completely different connotation. It has to do with proving that people in ancient times, specifically the Hebrew people, believed that there was a solid dome over a flat Earth, so wait a second. A flat Earth. A flat Earth. We are not flat Earthers. We will preface everything with that. Forget but say that uh, That's a very uh, important. In component. the 19th century, it was very popular. It was very much in vogue to say that the ancient Hebrews believed in a flat Earth and a solid dome over the Earth, and that God was over that dome, and over the dome there were these waters. Okay, and so this is what the critical scholar said and it really caught on. And even today in the 19th century, in the 19th century, and even today, there are a lot of people who still believe this. And an example would be Michael Heiser. Okay. So he's very popular evangelical because of his work about the divine council. And he's contributed a lot hmm. in that particular field. And, and I really think that he's worth reading, but, His view of inerrancy, in my mind, is very low. I would hardly call it inerrancy. And there are a lot of other people today who have very shaky views of inerrancy. Uh, So general that you wonder, do they believe in inerrancy at all? But this is one of those things that when you look at the book of Genesis, are we being given an account from God that we can trust is true 100% and is accurate? Or are we given an account of what the ancient Hebrews believed? So we can learn things from what the ancient Hebrews believed. Or are we getting a inspired account handed down to us from God through his prophet Moses? Now, fundamentalists, and I think anybody that takes the Bible seriously, will say, well, no, Genesis is a historical account. And it is given to us by God through Moses it's inspired so we can trust that it is without error right so whatever it says is true okay the critical scholars on the other hand starting in the 1800s started to undermine this view of inspiration that Christians have held since Genesis was first writ you know what i'm very critical of the critical i am too guys. i agree with you but I'm still
1: going back to wait the ancient hebrews believed in a flat earth how no, do we know that
0: we don't okay we don't know that because they didn't believe that. Okay? I'm just saying this is what the critical scholars said. Gotcha. Because what scholars, they're what they're arguing is they're liberal scholars by the way. Scholars. What they're arguing is that the ancient Hebrews borrowed from the ancient Mesopotamians and the ancient Mesopotamians believed in a flat yeah, earth and a dome. Yeah. However, as I'm going to show you in a minute, we really don't have any idea what they believed. Right. You know, Our understanding of their cosmology has tons of gaps in it. Yes. So there's no way that we can make these handy-dandy charts that the you mean, see on the internet the, that show exactly what they believed the, the earth looked like. Or, or the Mesopotamians he, or the Hebrews? The Mesopotamians okay, supposedly okay. believed this, and when the Hebrews were in captivity... I, I got that. They borrowed that. They brought it back with them. But we don't know what the Mesopotamians actually believed. Exactly, yeah. Okay, and okay. we'll get more to that in a minute because... There is a history of translation errors and misinformation that was built upon and assumed to be true for so long. So people will quote these scholars, but the scholars who originally made the claims, they didn't have any basis for the claims. And so there's still misinformation going around today in the 21st century that you think would be cleared up by now. But the reason people hold on to it is because the critical scholars are feeding the skeptics that say, yes. if you believe the Bible, you're dumb Right? because these people believed in a flat earth. How do I know that? Because the scholars say so. And they'll quote the Bible scholars. Uh, I got in a debate with a fellow on Facebook about this. Uh-oh. And I said, no, 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 that's not what the term means. Rakia does not mean a solid dome over the earth. Right. But he said, it's exactly what it means. And you need to look up the Logos Bible software and there you'll find all these resources that tell you exactly what the term means. And I'm like, I already got Logos Bible software. And I know exactly what you're talking about. I know the illustrations that you're referring to, and I know the misinformation that you're thinking about. And of course I tried to steer this back to a topic that we were discussing. Um, It had actually to do with UFOs. Mm -hmm. And I was saying, I believe the UFO phenomenon is best explained by supernatural deception. However, he would not even discuss that with me because it became an ad hominem attack. You believe the Bible. Those people believed in a flat earth. You're dumb. And I was like, can we not have a conversation about the topic that was posted? Like, this is what we're supposed to be talking about. But no, it became a rabbit trail. And I said, I'm done with this. And I stopped the debate. I just got out of it because I was getting tired of it. I did post a bunch of articles that gave uh, Hebrew information, uh, Hebrew studies based on uh, this word rakia and what it means. And of course he's like, well, no, I've already read that. I already know that. I already know that. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, whatever. Well, I'll pray for you. And I, I shared the gospel. I was like, God bless you. I'm going to pray for you. I hope that you see the truth, you know, but, and y'all can pray for Pride him too. is a wonderful thing. Isn't it's, it? it's, it's really frustrating to me because I had to kind of take a step back and take a breather. Having any debate online, it, it raises my blood pressure and Ultimately, I think that it's not worth it most of the time because it comes to nothing. However, I took a deep breath and I was like, okay, if I have to say a final word here, am I going to be a jerk or am I just going to say Jesus loves you? So I said, Jesus loves you. I shared the gospel and I was like, have a good day. But anyways, this did bring to my mind that this is circulating information out there,
2: misinformation
0: that the Bible teaches a flat earth. There are two different groups nowadays that are saying this. There are people who genuinely believe it. (laughs) Unfortunately, there are Mm. some misguided Christians who believe in a flat earth. They are absolutely wrong for a multitude of reasons. But that's really become a movement nowadays. And then you have the people that don't actually believe in a flat earth, but they say the Bible teaches it. Mm. And obviously the earth isn't flat. So therefore, the Bible can't be trusted. And it casts doubt on everything else. So we're going to look at what Rakya means. no 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 he does not okay yeah (laughs) um but anyways let's uh talk about rakia so i actually emailed some people and i asked them their opinions not email actually facebook message some people who have written articles on this i got their articles and i did some reference work uh but i'm not a a hebrew expert okay so i look up the dictionaries i look up the lexicons and i'm I asked, you asked the experts. Yeah, I asked the experts. Okay, so I asked an expert about this who's written an article on this specific topic and had it published in different magazines, uh, ministry magazines, published it in a journal too, I believe. So first, let's look at some really popular lexicons. So the most popular lexicon for Hebrew is called the Brown Driver Briggs lexicon. This is the one that you could still, you know, get in a family Christian bookstore well, I guess not. They don't have family Christian bookstores. You can go in anymore, but you used to be able to go in and this would be one that was on the shelf. Right. Right. And it's still used in a lot of seminaries. It's like the old faithful. It's really hard to navigate. Okay. It's sometimes hard to read because you got a lot of different languages in there. Right. You know, they'll have, you know, German stuff and Latin stuff. So right. it can kind of get a little confusing, I've but, uh, it is a very reliable, um, tried and true lexicon. And, In this particular lexicon, rakia is an extended surface or an expanse, okay? An extended surface or expanse, okay? So what is often argued by the critical scholars is that this term specifically refers to metal being stretched out. So if you were to take a hammer and you were a blacksmith and you were beating metal and you were causing that metal to stretch out, to thin out, that that's what's being referred to. And so rakia must refer to something solid. But it a, must refer to a dome is what they say.
1: You can beat and spread out a piece of chicken.
0: <laughs> and so, you can, and the same thing
3: with metal as well.
0: So <laughs> what, what basically gas this comes is, down, down to is, yes, it's often used in the Bible to refer to metal being beaten out. But does it always mean that? Mm. Were you going to say something, sweetie? I was going to say gas too, but I guess technically gas is a physical well see that's the thing does this word does this word refer to a solid substance all the time and the answer is no okay so that's what brings us to the next term raka raka is the verb and it's the word that is related to rakia it means to beat to stamp to beat out to spread out now obviously there's a lot of variability there okay to beat out would be to stomp Okay, to stomp on the ground, to spread out dirt, to spread out, you know, whatever is under your foot by beating it, stamping it. Beating out would have the connotation of beating out metal and spreading it out. So working with metals spread out could be used to refer to spreading out anything. Okay, so you could spread out any substance. But the idea is to take something that is not occupying an expanded area. Right. And spreading that substance out to fill space that it was not filling prior to that you, so you understand that mm-hmm. so you have a piece of metal that covers so much area you beat that metal out to where it spreads out over more areas so I it means to, to it means to yeah like pizza dough okay it means to expand to spread out okay so and a balloon yeah a balloon would work because, too yeah
2: i mean i know it's not physical like Metal, metal is. But it doesn't have to. Yeah, but the word doesn't require it metal. Still fits that. I'm trying to clay. Out which
1: you can one also do that with through. clay
0: and clay. And yeah. so, if you look up the way this term is used, it's not always used to refer to metal. So the contention that the critical scholars have that this must refer to some uh-huh. solid structure stretched out above the earth—that's simply not true. Now, what is not often mentioned when you look up this particular term is that all of these terms, rakya and Raka, they ultimately go back to the word wreck and the word rec means empty and vain. So of course vain could be uh, you know moral connotation, you know vain behavior. okay a, a vain man vacuous exactly or empty as in it's a emptiness physically in understood. Space. okay yes, exactly. So what this means,
1: and void. Uh,
0: so w- what we get down to when we study the word is that it all goes back to this word wreck and rakia would simply mean that God stretched out an emptiness. Though it can be used in the context of a thinning solid, the verb itself does not require the idea of a solid substance.
1: Well, doesn't the scripture say he stretched out the heavens?
0: So he did, okay? And we know today, scientifically, that space is currently expanding, the universe is, and so it is expanding, it can be expanded. So whenever Moses is describing God's act of stretching out the universe, stretching out space, he is using a term that from human experience often is used to refer to the expanding of substances. Now we normally wouldn't think of space as a substance. Okay. We think of space as nothingness, but space is something that can be stretched. Space is not nothing. It is something that can be expanded. So when it speaks of a firmament, when it speaks of a rakia, something (laughs) stretched out, something expanded, that is referring to probably space. And so that's why many modern translations will render it as expanse, which is perfect. Okay, so if we render it that way, I'll look at the King James one more time in verse six. It could be let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, a space and let it let that space divide the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and divided the waters which were under the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. That would God, be our atmosphere. Yes, and God called the expanse heaven. In this case, it would be the first heaven, the atmosphere like you said. And evening and morning were the first day, or sorry, second day, excuse me. <coughs> so what we have here is a Hebrew term that can be used to refer to a solid but does not necessarily refer to a solid or any particular physical substance. It can, given our 21st century understanding of space, refer to space itself being stretched out. So I think it's quite amazing that we know that space stretches out now. Yeah. And that the Bible talks about God stretching out the heavens many times. Yes. Like lots of references in the Old Testament, not just here in Genesis and the Psalms and Isaiah, lots of references about the heavens being stretched out. So I believe that right here in this particular text, we're talking about the first heaven. However, we are going to talk about the second heaven and the third heaven, too, in just a moment. But, again, going back to the definitions of the Hebrew term here, rakia does not refer to a solid dome. There's absolutely nothing in the term that requires that. In fact, it's best understood as God stretching out space. Right. Okay, because he stretches out the heavens. All right, now, let's look at the main viewpoints when it comes to this term. So, I, I tried to summarize all the data. It's sometimes hard to do that, but... The first view that we look at is the flat earth, solid dome view, but this isn't what the secular critics actually believe. It's just what they think the Bible teaches. So they're saying the Bible teaches that the earth is flat and that there is this solid dome. So but, therefore
3: it must be true?
0: No, no. These people are the secular critics oh, Okay. who are, they're Bible scholars who in my mind are wasting their existence on this earth, Amen. criticizing the Bible when they could be living their lives. Okay, because they don't even have faith in the Bible. Or at least they don't have a high view of inerrancy. Or they have no view of inerrancy. There are people, honestly, guys, let us I, I hate to say this because I love this particular individual's writings, and I, I have no doubt that he's in heaven. But C.S. Lewis would be an example of yeah. an early 20th century guy who believes in Jesus, yeah. believes in heaven, even believes in hell, yeah. but does not take Genesis seriously. Genesis, in his mind, was myth. Mm. And... All of this stuff is not up-to-date scientific information, but rather it's what the Hebrews believed. There's truths in it. So God's word is contained in the Bible, but the Bible is not synonymous with God's word. And and he talks about this in his book, Reflections on the Psalms. He makes it very clear that he doesn't believe that the Bible is word, uh, word for word inspired by God. He doesn't believe in verbal plenary inspiration. So there are a lot of people who... They have contributed a lot to Christian apologetics. Mm-hmm. Mike Lycona is a guy nowadays, sort of like C.S. Lewis, known for his apologetics, wrote a huge book on the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Okay? And it has a lot of good arguments for the resurrection. So he's a believer, but his view of inerrancy, he says he believes in inerrancy, but he really doesn't. Right. And there are things in the book of Matthew, for example, that text about the dead rising yes, and, and, yeah. and the graves opening when Jesus dies. He believes that that is not historically authentic. That should not be in the Bible. And, and he caught a lot of flack from Norman Geisler because Norman Geisler is also an apologist, but he believes in inerrancy. Right. He's got a whole website dedicated to it, and he's recognizing the evangelicals are leaving it behind. His fellow apologists are leaving it behind. So he, so he's like, sign this right here. Go on my website and sign up and say, look, you stand with inerrancy. We're trying to get a following, and he's got lots of articles on there that are really good. I don't agree with Norman Geisler on everything. He is an old earther, uh, but he does believe in inerrancy. Uh, right. So I give him credit for that. And I praise God for people that are standing against that Wait kind a of
3: compromise. How could he believe in inerrancy when he, anyways. He no,
0: would, he he would been... say that Genesis is not myth. He'd say it's literal history, but it's misinterpreted by young earthers. Gotcha. That's okay. what he'd say. So he'd say that the days perhaps represent ages. And he would try to argue that that's what it literally says. But we all know that he's fooling himself because it's right. not what it literally says. Right. Um, and no, none of the Jews believe that none of the early Christians did. That's a modern day compromise itself. But, uh, but again, his approach his methodology, at least yes. in principle is the Bible's inerrant. Let's take it at face value. But there are a lot of people, like I said, C.S. Lewis, Mike Lycona, these are people that they don't have a view of inerrancy really. Uh, but the secular critics are not across the board. People that don't believe in Jesus. Uh, there's a, commentary on Bible hub that I use often. It's the Cambridge
2: something or other. Okay. So it
0: was, it was used in seminaries. I believe, uh, it was for biblical education back in the, I think probably the early 1900s. And it teaches the documentary hypothesis. Moses didn't write the first five books of the Bible. Uh, Genesis is myth. Uh, and so basically doesn't believe in inerrancy either. But if you get to the new Testament, uh, they do believe that the resurrection is a historical reality. They do believe in the Trinity, but you could see there was a lot of compromise going on at mm. that time. And it, again, it was starting in the 19th century uh, with higher criticism and German rationalism. It came over to the UK and then from the UK, it came over here yeah. whenever uh, they started translating the, uh, the American standard version. Um, they had a committee, of people that were uh, affirmers of the Nicene Creed, but then they had Unitarians that were also included. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy who was in charge of that committee, uh, Phil Schaff, I don't know if he was the one in charge of, but he was on it. And uh, he had a couple of Unitarians put on that committee and translating the Bible. So this is the context that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. A-, a, lot of, a lot of compromise at the time. Uh, Excuse me. Nose is stopping up. But... Uh, this first view says that the Mesopotamians believed in a flat earth and a solid dome. And they base that on some scholarship that was misinformed. In fact, the idea that there was a solid dome over the earth comes from a mistranslation of the Enuma Elish, which is a Mesopotamian text, which tells us what we can know about their cosmology, their creation myth. So the Enuma Elish was mistranslated in the 19th century, and people took that. They passed on the idea that the Mesopotamians had this solid dome teaching and that the Jews barred from it. Now, the second view is the spherical earth. So we have a spherical earth. This is the Greek view, and there are celestial spheres that revolve around the earth. So you have a geocentric view. And this one was held by the Greeks, by the Jews, and it was also held by Christians all throughout the Middle Ages until people like Nicholas Copernicus and Galileo came around. So what it basically teaches is that the earth is round, it's a globe, but all these planets that you see up in the sky, they are in these spheres, these hard spheres. And there's many spheres, not just a couple, but there's lots of spheres. And and these spheres rotate all of these things that are in the spheres, all the planets, the sun, the moon, around the Earth. So the, the Earth is stationed, it doesn't move, and everything moves around it. But they at least believed in a spherical Earth. And, of course, that was believed a long time ago, guys. I mean, this idea that people believed in a flat Earth in the days of Columbus is simply a myth. That was actually a myth perpetuated by skeptics that were trying to say that this flat Earth idea was something that Christians believed and they bite into. But
1: but Columbus was trying to reach the Indies, which he had to go around the Earth to do.
0: Yeah. Again, it's a myth. I'm just saying the yeah. idea that there was a fear in those days of sailing off the edge of the Earth, uh, that was that's a myth. Like they people at that time were fully convinced that the Earth was a sphere. But the idea that they were holding on to a flat earth idea because of the oppression of the church, that's something that was perpetuated by skeptics to say Christians have been holding back science, but they created a straw man. That's not actually what people believed in the Middle Ages. Yes, they believed in the hard spheres, and we'll talk about that. Where'd they get that from? Apparently, that's a very ancient belief. And I'm going to talk about how there may be some truth to it. But obviously, I don't believe in geocentrism, but the idea that there are spheres of some sort and that the cosmology uh, of the Bible hints at something like this. We'll talk about that more in a minute, but that's the ancient Greek belief, and it was held by the church during the Middle Ages. So another thing about the view up here about the celestial spheres that the ancient Greeks held A lot of times people, when they see the Jewish rabbis talking about some solid firmament, the secular critics will say that's talking about that solid dome that the ancient Mesopotamians believed. But that's not what they're talking about. So these Jewish rabbis compromised pretty quickly when it came to the ancient Greek belief. They adopted the ancient Greek belief of geocentrism and the hard spheres. And again, we'll talk about whether or not there's anything to that. Obviously... Like I just mentioned earlier, I I don't believe that geocentrism is true. But this idea that there are spheres—that's absolutely right. That's something that I want to talk about more. But the Jews, when they talked (laughs) about—that's my son. I don't know what he's laughing about. He's very funny though. (laughs) He's having a good time though. Uh, These spheres are what's being referred to when Jews talk about something solid over the Earth. (laughs) So they're not talking about a flat Earth. They're talking about a spherical earth with hard spheres around it, hard shells, okay, concentric shells. So that's the second view. Now, the third view is the flat earth, solid dome view, and that's what I call unbiblical acceptance. So this is people who actually accept this view. There's a movement nowadays that actually believe in this solid dome and a flat earth, but they claim it's in the Bible, and it's not. So they'll say that the term Rockia must refer to this solid dome and the term does not require it. And even if there was some solidity or firmness to it, even if there, oh my goodness, Jamie, (laughs) Jamie, bud. You're gonna have to chill out, dude.
1: Scott, I think you're gonna have to call this title Are We Flat Earthers? Yeah, I'm telling you,
0: this is crazy. Jamie is,
2: he's too hyped. Dinosaur, and if it's something that's not actual food, like a fish bone or
0: something, yeah, it spits it out.
2: Dinosaur spits it out, and- is it
3: funny, Jamie?
0: We may have to pause this. I don't know, to you. Jamie. Sit down. Hey, Jamie, 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 Shh, sit down.
2: <laughs> what was he doing with his tongue? <laughs> he's acting like he's
0: eating. Okay, we're back. We we had some Jamie complications. Jamie funny things. But continuing our survey of the main viewpoints, like I was saying about the flat earth solid dome theory, that's what a lot of people nowadays are jumping on the bandwagon and believing. Not a lot of people. There Just is a lot of people. Well, I mean it's still a minority, but I mean it's enough to be noticed. It's It's a lot of
1: people that want to criticize
0: Christians. Listen, guys, if you look up Flat Earth, okay, there are an innumerable innumerable number of videos of people who are trying to argue for This is not like some people in their basement. These are people who they have started a whole movement. Now, of course, there's a question of, there are some of the people who, they're probably doing it for a joke. Uh, Danny Faulkner wrote an article on this. He says some of the most popular... Flat Earth proponents, he says, if you really study them closely, it seems like this is just a joke to them and that they're deceiving people. They're playing a a trick on people and it's just spiteful. Mm. He says, now, there are some people that are certainly sincere, but it's not always the case. But it is a movement that it's gotten close enough to home where there are people that I know that are like, what if there's something to this? I'm like, no, 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 no. Stop you right there. Okay. There's nothing to it. All the
1: planets are round, but Earth is a
3: square.
0: <laughs> no, I've it? not seen that. I don't think anybody <laughs> believes that one, but. Well, um, I mean,. There might be somebody out there who does. I don't know. but... Uh, I'm
3: going to have to put a link to 7 4 gear on our things so, to the one where he says I'll fly.
1: Oh, yeah. He's going to fly the Flat Earthers to show them that he to, can fly. Okay. Yeah. When I the plane. You do all the
3: stuff, I'll be your pilot just to prove you you're wrong.
0: And next week, because we're not going to finish all this this week, but next week I'm going to look at some verses with y'all that I think do teach a round earth and rotation on the earth's axis. Okay, I'm going to share with you some verses that are from the Bible. So there, right. listen, it is self-evident now in the 21st century that we live on a round earth. Okay, I think that it is proving conclusively, and the Bible doesn't have to I mean, say William anything Shatner about it. I mean,
1: can tell you we live on a round earth.
0: He could. He's been up there. He's mm-hmm. been up there. But what I'm saying is it's proven outside the Bible. You don't need the Bible to teach it. Right. But I do think there are some references, especially in the book of Job, that teach things that I believe do indicate a spherical earth and rotation of the earth on its axis. And I think it's pretty amazing Because Job is the oldest book in the Bible, presumably so. Or at least one of the oldest books in the Bible. Where's the
1: space picture of the side of the earth and the bottom? I want to know if it's flat. Like, where are those pictures?
0: Well, See, it's a conspiracy, Christy, about NASA. They've faked everything. So all the pictures are all fake. NASA is demonic. They're they're demonic and they're trying to get us to believe a lie. That the earth is round when it's really flat
1: did you see the, the picture that the, and that's genuinely what some people the, believe the, was it an astrophysicist he put out there with a piece of chorizo and he said it was a yes. it was a sun yeah
0: yeah yeah, it, yeah yeah
3: yeah yeah that's right it was a sun
0: yeah <laughs> not our sun, it was it because of sun. all the facebook stuff about the james webb telescope yeah. Yes. yeah anyways people will believe anything but number four up here for the main viewpoints and Now, these last two are biblical, okay? So, these are acceptable. The first one is a spherical earth, and the heavens are unbounded, so there are no there's no boundary to the heaven. Uh, waters are clouds. So, in Genesis 1, when it talks about the waters above the expanse, that's talking about clouds. Now, if you were to read a lot of the older commentaries, like John Gill, yeah. Matthew Poole, Matthew yeah. Henry, John Wesley... Uh, joseph benson a lot of the old ones that now. they're gonna say that this is referring to clouds so that's really the traditional go-to is that the waters above are the clouds and that's not a stupid view uh, it's possible because there are places in the bible where it talks about god's storehouse above and it talks about him pouring out water and and they're taking those references and saying that's the same thing that genesis one's talking about now when i the, don't when think the that of that
1: heaven were broken up
0: I personally don't think that clouds are the waters above, and that's what I'm going to try to demonstrate uh, tonight and also next week when we finish. But that is one acceptable view. So if you believe that, You're that's sure. that's that's okay. Like that's a safe view. You're not committing uh, a big error when you interpret Genesis that way. Um, but the last view, and this one's where there's a lot of diversity among creationists. And I call this uh, the modern Young Earth Creationist view. So the one that the clouds or the waters, that would be the traditional view. This would be the modern Young Earth Creationist view. And when I say modern, it doesn't mean there's no support in ancient writings. It just means that if you were to read the old commentators, they're going to generally say it's clouds. But Young Earth Creationists have kind of reopened this subject some with discussion of a water canopy. or an ice canopy, or waters bounding the universe. These are things that really weren't brought up in the older commentaries, and now we're talking about it, and young earth creationists are going back to old myths, they're going back to old Jewish references, and they're saying, look, there might be something here to look at, right? Mm -hmm. So they believe in a spherical earth, that the heavens are bounded in some way. Some would say that only the first heavens bounded. So there's a canopy. The there's a canopy around the earth. So that's there's true. a there's one heaven where the birds fly, and there's a boundary around it, and that's conceived as a canopy of vapor or liquid or crystal. But there's different there opinions. Is,
1: scientifically, we know that there is. That's why we don't lose our atmosphere.
0: Well, yeah. the type the the amount of water that we're talking, water we're ta- the sell. amount of water vapor we're talking. There is some water up there, but we're not talking about minuscule amounts. We're talking about a lot that would really affect. Atmosphere, uh, climate, oxygen, carbon dioxide—like big the- changes that would completely revolutionize. So
1: we're talking pre-flood. Yes,
0: yes, oxygen. that's what we're talking. Isn't it like a third of the water or something like that that we right. now have yeah, on the yeah. Earth's
2: surface? Isn't that supposed supposedly what somebody? Where mentioned? it came
3: from? Yeah.
0: So again, so there's di- I mean. there's different views about how much water was above the atmosphere. Okay, right. but this last view, there's different. There's just different views, okay? Some would say this boundary is limited around the Earth. Others would say that there was no canopy around the Earth, but there is water bounding the universe. So that's Russell Humphreys. He's a proponent of that view. Um, I don't know if he would say that's the same as the Crystal Sea. I can't say that with confidence because I haven't read his whole book. I've just read some articles dealing with his understanding of cosmology. Uh, And then some people, this is kind of where I fall. I think it's possible. I'm not dogmatic about it. This is something I wouldn't break fellowship with any about. Okay. I'm not going to say, okay, well, you disagree with me on the canopy, so I'm not going to meet with you (laughs) in church. Yeah. I'm I'm not going to argue with people about something like this. Uh, I'd like to have a, a fruitful discussion, really. But I think there's probably room for more than one boundary. And this goes back to the hard spheres. If. As some creationists believe, that canopy around the earth was crystalline in some form. Okay, I'm going to introduce you to Carl Baugh's view, which is very interesting. But if there was a crystalline sphere around the earth, and we think, okay, well, the word heaven, shamayim, is plural. So there's a sphere around the first heaven. There's a sphere around the second heaven. That would be around outer space, which is huge. Okay, there's a sphere around that. That would be perhaps the crystal sea talked about. And then maybe there's even another sphere that is the roof of heaven and God's throne sits on that. So that's a possibility too. And we'll get into that later. Okay. So these are all just possibilities, but I want to go through each view and kind of talk about the pros and the cons. So first,
1: we're going to need some stargates, by the way,
0: some stargates some <laughs> angels here in time, right. um, so, the history of translation and interpretation. So, ancient Greeks believed in the ether. Ether was a Greek god, and they thought that the ether existed above the sky and in outer space. Now, when we talk about the ancient myths, Jody Dillo, he's a young earth creationist that wrote a book back in 1981 called The Waters Above. And this was probably the biggest book defending the vapor canopy. It's got tons of math, tons of science, well over my head. But he argues that a lot of the ancient myths contain dim memories of this pre-flood canopy that was immediately around the earth above our atmosphere. Uh, That there's legends about a banishment of a water heaven. There was a water heaven um, above the earth that was banished and it disappeared. It's not there now.
1: It would have made us a greenhouse.
0: Yes, yes. But there are a lot of positive benefits to that. Yeah.
1: Tropical weather across the whole
0: globe. Some people think that it would have been too intense, too hot. But, there again, there's different computer models that it depends on the variables involved. Okay, So it could have been really, really hot, depending on how thick the vapor canopy was. Some people think that it was thicker than it could have been. Uh, But, again, we'll get to that in a minute. But the myths uh, also include the idea of a new sun. So there are two suns in Greek mythology. And one was banished by the other. And what Joseph Dillow argues, Jody Dillo argues that the sun before the flood would have been dimmer because of the canopy. And so when the canopy disappeared, it was like there was a brand new sun. It was like the sun entered into a new age of brightness that didn't exist before. So he thinks that may explain why in many myths, not just the Greeks, there's this idea of a new sun replacing an old sun. Uh, and, and again, that goes right along with the idea of the water heaven disappearing at the same time that the new sun replaces the old sun.
1: If it, really, if it, if it limited the light, it would have limited the heat, potentially, too.
0: Yes. But yes. we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, the sudden onset of cold winters. That's a Persian myth, which is really interesting, that uh, according to Jody Dillo, it's possible that this represents the onset of the Ice Age when the canopy collapsed at the time of the flood. So he simply looks at all these legends and says there seems to be some agreement that there was a water heaven. there was a new sun that replaced an old sun, and whenever the water heaven collapsed, some big changes took place. big changes, okay? clouds, storms, winter time, okay, or at least colder winters, like these would have been drastic changes that resulted from that water heaven disappearing. So when did it disappear? Well, young earth creationists that believe in the canopy theory would say it disappeared during the time of the flood. So the windows of heaven that are talked about in the flood account, that that's referring to the canopy condensing and collapsing and supplying at least one part of the flood water. So we know the fountains of the deep were also another source and probably they were the principal source, but the waters of heaven, the windows of heaven opening, that's definitely part of it. Um, so the hard celestial spheres was another view that eventually developed, um, and it was a Hellenistic idea. So Aristotle, Ptolemy, some of the other famous Greek scientists, they believed that the Earth was a sphere, and everything was geocentrically oriented to where you had these spheres with all the stars and the planets in them, and the spheres revolved around the Earth, and that's how they understood the motions of celestial bodies.: In time,: that
3: they knew about the celestial bodies. What's that? I said, and, and interesting, they knew about the celestial bodies. They didn't have the, the the layout of the solar system, but they knew about the solar system. You yes, I mean? they like, did, yeah. Quite interesting. They they
0: did know a good deal about it. Which um,
3: makes this whole thing about flat Earth being kind of silly. It is. It is, right? because
0: we should be beyond this. I mean, right. They Aristotle proved empirically that the Earth was round like 300 years before Christ. Right. And he didn't need NASA photos to prove it either. No. Okay. No,
3: you can tell by the, and, and right. it's,
0: and it's mentioned in ancient Greeks that if you were out on the ocean and, and you saw a ship disappearing over the horizon, yes. it sinks below the horizon yes. because of the curvature of the earth. Yeah. And if the earth was flat, then you wouldn't be able to spot land by climbing up higher That's right. and getting into crow's nest. Okay, but but that difference shows that the land drops below the horizon because the Earth is curved. It wouldn't be that way if it was flat. Right. So those were things that the ancient Greeks noticed. They also noticed that uh, during a lunar eclipse, the shadow of the Earth on the Sun is circular. So they yes. knew that we were definitely wow. rounded. And because they
1: were like a flat pie.
0: But that's what some people say it's a disc. But here's the thing: it's not just a circle shape on the moon at a particular time when there's a lunar eclipse. If it was like midnight, that's when you would see right. the the rounded shape. But it's at different times when the lunar eclipse happens. And I'm not an expert when it comes to this, but if if we were a disk at certain times when a lunar eclipse happens, you wouldn't see a rounded shape. You would see our disk from the side. Okay, right. so you would have a, a more rectangular shape. That's right. Uh, but it's always... With
1: a turtle under it.
0: <laughs> With a turtle. <laughs> that's, that's different book. By it's a different know. book. <laughs> What's
3: the guy's name? By yeah. all the Native Americans. No,
0: but the point is, it's always the same when we see the shadow of the earth on the moon, which proves that at every angle, we are a circle. So if it is a circle at every angle, then what are we? We're I mean, a it sphere. Could, it
1: could rotate on its side, buddy. And then would it always <laughs> be a disc? Like, for
0: real. <laughs> Okay, don't don't play devil's advocate too much, Christy. Oh, they might think that we're flat earthers now. But
2: then well, the sun, it doesn't make sense because we'd have to rotate for the sun. What if we just kept our face towards
1: it, but then we wouldn't have day and night. We would exactly. always be day. Yeah.
0: And that's another thing. And, and we're going to get to this about the round earth. We're going to look at some verses that in the New Testament, interestingly enough, kind of rule out a flat earth How too. How we have
1: nighttime with a flat earth?
0: That's another issue. Uh, and, and I think that that supports for sure a spherical earth because, in uh, what's it, Luke, and I can't remember I think Luke 17, maybe, but, uh, it talks about how when the rapture happens, there's going to be people sleeping, grinding their grain, which they did in the morning and mm-hmm. working in the field, which they did midday. So all over the, the earth, time zones. okay. The time zones that supports a spherical earth. So that's taught in the new Testament. Sorry. I, I'm just, I'm reading this,
3: the Cambridge Bible commentary on Bible hub. No, it's, it's on um, But anyways, so it looks like they're they're saying that the the ancient Hebrews were flat earthers. That's exactly what they're saying. They are. Yeah. 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 yeah, That's what they're saying. It's like they're ad hominem, right? It's like, Oh, they're so dumb. They thought this.
0: Yeah. 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 And I think the people who first came up with this stuff, guys were skeptics, but a lot of, so-called conservative scholars bought into it. Yeah. And that's what's amazing. There are people today that are like, I believe Jesus is God in the flesh and rose again. And then you'll say, okay, well then you must believe that Genesis is literal and God created everything in six days. And no, no, I think that's myth. Wait a second. So you believe the New Testament accounts about the resurrection, but you don't believe the Old Testament account of creation? It's like, it, I don't see how in their minds they can put it together like yeah, that. Yeah, like it's so inconsistent. It would drive me crazy. Yeah. It's a glaring inconsistency.
2: That's too miraculous. That's too, like they can believe in miracles that are about this big, but not that big.
3: You know, it's funny. I just started listening to this book, um, James Gardner, the actor, right? It's my autobiography of it. And he, at and he very beginning, he's talking about, you know, his parents going to church every once in a while and he basically, what he said was he had a problem with the Bible because there were too many miracles in it. I'm like, dude, you are just so far off. I'm sorry, it just, just reminded me of that. It, but just so far off, and, and you just, I know where you are now. Because you just thought that the Bible just had too many miracles. Uh, well, sad. The miracle is that you could have accepted it, Jesus, and you wouldn't be where you are now. Yeah. Right? So yeah,
0: I mean, that's the greatest sorry, sorry. miracle of all is the miracle of salvation. There you go. But sorry. um, go, going back to the history of things, um, so there was the hard celestial spheres that the Greeks believed with a spherical earth. They at least had that down. Well, when the Septuagint was translated, this is during a time where the Jews were very much influenced by Greek ideas. Yeah. So the Alexandrian Jews that translated the Old Testament into Greek, and that's what the Septuagint is, when they translated the term Rakia, They translated stereoma, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and it means a solid thing. So they translated it as a solid thing because they believed that Rakia was a celestial sphere. They did not believe that it was a solid dome over the earth but they believe that it was a sphere. So again, a lot of people just don't understand the context of what these ancient Jews are saying. When they talk about Rocky as being solid, they're not saying it's a dome, right? They're saying it's a sphere around the earth. Okay. And you can disagree with that, but at least get their view, right?
3: Exactly. Right.
0: Uh, And so the rabbinic compromise, Josephus, the Midrash, the Talmud, they all seem to have this idea of hard spheres. Um, They all seem to agree with the Greek view. Okay, so they compromised at least on that. Um, So that made its way into Jerome's Vulgate. Uh, The word firmament, the key word there is firm. Okay, so firmament is something firm, something that is solid or semi-solid. So that's what it was translated into in the Vulgate. Then it was brought into the Wycliffe Bible. That's the first English Bible Mm -hmm. based on the Vulgate. And then Tyndall, he retained firmament, okay, and Tyndall is what the KJV is based on a lot. So he laid a lot of groundwork for Bible translation, uh, translated from the Hebrew, but he chose to, to retain this term, firmament. Now, some church fathers, such as Basil, he thought the firmament was fluid and not solid. So this brings up something. I don't believe that the celestial sphere's view is correct, okay? I don't believe it's correct at all. I think that it's, it's pretty obvious based on the observable evidence we have today that planets are not stuck in a sphere and they're not revolving around the Earth. However, this idea of the universe being marked out into different areas with spheres defining boundaries, that makes me wonder if you have three heavens and if the firmament talked about in Genesis was a canopy, and it was marking out a boundary. So where is the first heaven? It's underneath that firmament. It's underneath that canopy. Mm-hmm. And then you have the second heaven. Where's the second heaven? It's underneath the second firmament, a crystal sea. And then perhaps there is a third firmament, which would be above heaven. And again, that, that's a little bit more controversial. Uh, that's something we'll talk more about next week. I'm not convinced necessarily that there is one, but I think that there are some interesting Bible references that might lend support to that. Ultimately, we'll find it when we get there. I'm looking forward to getting to heaven and finding out for sure. Like, I know I want to be like, where's the crystal sea? I got to see this thing. I got to see how this thing looks.
1: I'm going to be really disappointed if it's not like, I don't know. I need something that looks like whenever you're standing on the Canadian side of Niagara Falls and you look in the river.
0: I think it's going to be better than anything anything you find in Canada. Okay. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> but uh, what anyway, you say? Say this? <laughs> hopefully, if you're Canadian, you're listening, you're not offended. We we well, have we I have, I have mean, a Canadian yeah. president, and we love him. Okay. You know, Christ tells us love to love everybody. I mean, okay.
3: I found something really good in People Canada. From Quebec.
1: Yes, I wasn't from Quebec, though. I was talking about Canada in yeah, general. I mean, yeah.
0: <laughs> We love all people. Jesus died Mostly for all. I'm
1: talking about Smarties and butter tarts. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, so, so have butter tarts. Back on topic. Back on topic. Uh, so, is there a is there a possible case firmament? Now, at the very beginning of this study, butter tarts. <laughs> still going. Sorry. At the very beginning of this study, I, I gave you the ca- gave you the argument. I made a case that rockia comes from wreck. Rec means emptiness. So we're talking about space as an expanse, an expanse. Okay. And I do agree that that is essentially what's being talked about. There is an expanse. Space is being stretched out. However, does that necessarily rule out that something firm was placed in the heavens by God to demarcate between the various heavens? We know there are three heavens that Paul talks about. Now, there were different views among the rabbis. Some believe there were seven heavens. Okay. But Paul talks about three, so we're going to stick with Paul, okay? If we're not going beyond what's written in the Bible. If there are three heavens, one wonders, how do you differentiate between those three heavens? Presumably, there would need to be some kind of boundary. doesn't necessarily have to be solid. doesn't necessarily have to be visible, but there would need to be some boundary. Okay, so that brings up this possibility in these verses that I have up here. And it would take a long time to go through all these verses. So I'm going to summarize them for you, but I'm going to read them so if you're listening, you can look them up yourself. but well, I'm going to, I'll post it. And uh, Scott's going to post all the slides, but Probably not
1: like in five months, whenever he gets to the Friday night ones.
0: Eventually. But Exodus 24:20 describes the elders on Mount Zion, or not Mount Zion, sorry Mount Sinai get the right mountain, but they're on top of Mount Sinai and they see this sapphire pavement right. underneath the feet of God. Okay, Keep that in mind. In Ezekiel one twenty-two, it talks about a firmament, and it describes it as being like crystal. When you look up yes. the word in Hebrew, it's usually used to refer to frost or ice. And remember that, too, because when we talk about all these different views of the firmaments right. or, the, or the canopy theories, there are some people that believe that it's ice or crystal or crystalline. Carl uh, Baugh thinks it's crystalline silica. So we'll talk about that. Revelation 4.6 talks about the crystal sea. Revelation 15.2 talks about the crystal sea, and it's possible that they are two different crystal seas. Okay, There was uh, one particular Greek scholar in the uh, 19th century who believed that the crystal sea in Revelation 4.6 and the one in 15.2, they're different crystal seas. And, And that leaves open the possibility that maybe one is under god's throne but above the heads of the worshipers in heaven and the other marks the bottom of heaven so it would be sort of like the floor of heaven and in that way you would have two firmaments Hmm. one at the floor and one at the roof
1: okay so kind of rabbit trail here god's feet on his throne that can't be god the father because he doesn't have a body and we can't see him so are you saying that Jesus is on a throne that's above and we won't actually In be able to Exodus twenty
0: four, I think it's describing Jesus because it describes feet and it's human appearance. So that's Jesus. No one's ever seen the Father but the Son, and the Son reveals him. So that's Jesus, I think, in Exodus twenty four.
1: Like it is regular human size?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't know how big he was. Uh in, in Revelation
2: I'm not sure a giant, with giant giant feet. <laughs> Maybe right?
0: I, it, but in yeah. revelation, Mr.
3: Pierre Lude. yeah, sorry.
2: Are you going to put your, um, your diagram up what? on the slide? I haven't
0: made a diagram, but maybe I should, well, you wrote one you'll have to help me do it.
1: You drew one on a dry them? erase board. For sure. Me. I'll
0: have to draw a diagram. Yeah. Uh, maybe I will do that, but,
1: uh, Oh
0: goodness. Um, we like Clarence Larkin. He's got some weird ideas though. But anyways, in, um, revelation when it's describing the one on the throne that is definitely the father because jesus goes up and takes from the right hand of the one that sits on the throne but, but how does he have a right hand it does it okay okay and we've talked about this a long time ago okay but position. when it says when it says the right hand it's talking about the right side and the greek phrase is very rare And if you follow the way it's used, there have been a few people that have done deep studies on this particular phrase. (laughs) But outside the New Testament, when that phrase is used, it generally refers to being on the right side of somebody. So what it's referring to is on the right side of the throne where Jesus's seat is. position of power. Okay, hit that position. There's probably a seat there, Jesus's seat. And lying on that seat is the scroll. So it's not talking about the right hand as in like you're seeing a hand Okay, it's talking hey. about his side orientation. But anyways and but how
3: and, can he be sitting if he doesn't have
0: a body? Scott It's as one seated on a throne. Okay? That means one is one is positioned one is position on the throne. Okay? I
2: picture a glowing orb have on a, seat. a
0: I have no idea what is happening right now. Okay. God bless God God bless his humor, people.
3: But he's getting upset with you. Settle down. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Laughter's good. We had Jamie's laughter earlier and and now Christy's losing it. (laughs) It's getting late, people. But um anyways, going back to these references, there's often a reference to a crystalline structure. Okay, in the old testament and the new testament. So could it be that this refers to something that is actually crystalline or revelation 22 verse one, it talks about the river of life being like crystal. It could just refer to clarity. So it may not necessarily refer to something actually crystalline. <laughs> Y'all are barely holding in. I can't even concentrate over here. <laughs> I
3: was just thinking Clarence and He said clarity and I thought,
1: <laughs> I was thinking of the, the river at Niagara Falls.
3: Oh,
0: my word. Christy.
1: Clarity. That's what I think of Crystal Sea, that you can see the bottom. It's so clear.
0: And, and that's it's possible that Crystal refers to that. However, one wonders if there's something more to it. Is it just referring to something clear? And I'd encourage you to look up those references yourself and see what exactly you think it refers to. I do know that the word crystal does get used in the new Testament sometimes to refer to uh, a precious gem. Right. So while it can refer to water, like the river of life, it can also refer to something that's more solid, like a gem. So what is it referring to there? I just put a question mark next to it because I can't say for sure. So we'll talk more in a minute or at some point when we're doing this study about the crystalline nature of the canopy that some creation scientists have suggested. But Is Carl, Carl
1: Baugh a scientist
0: Carl Baugh um, has a PhD in something. I think it's, it's not ed- computer
1: science. Right? It's not,
0: it's not science. No, uh, he's got a degree in, he's got a degree in archeology. span And I think he's got a degree in education, like a PhD in education, but he did write his doctoral dissertation on this subject. And if you go on his website, he's got a whole thing on, Crystalline silica, and I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I'm not a scientist, so I can't look at his doctoral dissertation and say, man. "Oh yeah, this is, oh, man, this is wrong. This is right." Yeah, I can't do that. All I all I do is I read it and I'm like, "This is way too much for me. It's above my pay grade." Right. But he argues, and he's not the only one. Okay, there are other people that believe in a possible crystalline nature of a canopy here, but he believes that hydrogen and water. He quotes scientists. He quotes sources in his work. That hydrogen in water, when compressed under extreme super cold pressure, would form a firmament with metallic qualities.
1: Which would reflect back some of the
0: sun. So he thinks that this firmament was firm and that it was made out of crystalline silica. That it was hydrogen in water under extreme pressure. And I have looked it up for sure. Hydrogen in <laughs> water under extreme super cold pressure does form a, a substance with metallic qualities. So he argues that that is what the canopy was. Some people would say, well, how could you see the stars? He says it would have photo amplifying qualities to where you'd actually be able to see the stars brighter and more clear than you would now and today. So uh,
3: I, I, I'm, I'm hydrogen in water, but hydrogen
1: is part of water.
3: It's part of water.
0: Yes. So I'm just trying so to hydrogen in up. water, like in, in the water molecules,
1: pressing the water itself the water molecule itself
0: the hydrogen the hydrogen yeah, is the key element H2O, there that right
3: yeah but it's 2h 2o or something anyways sorry so it becomes
0: like a giant magnifying glass that that would be one quality he argues that it would have yes um but anyways that's his view okay he thinks that the crystalline canopy is supported by Ezekiel 122 he thinks that that reference to a firmament refers to something more than just an expanse you think it's referring to something solid and in exodus 2420 it talks about a sapphire pavement that sounds like something more than just an empty expanse of of space so maybe there is something to this idea that the expanse of the first heaven where the birds fly that's obviously space right there okay it's not solid but bounding that there may have been pre-flood something whether it was vapor or liquid water or crystalline or a combination uh, that's also a possibility that some have suggested. We don't know for sure. But Paul mentioned a third heaven in 2 Corinthians 12. 2. Heavens is plural. It's possible there may have been multiple firmaments rather than just uh, one firmament, which is usually what creation scientists always talk about, is just that one firmament that surrounds the earth. But there may have been more than one. Psalm 148.4 talks about uh, waters above the highest heaven. Russell Humphreys believes mm-hmm. that that's talking about waters around the universe. I think that's possible. Second uh, Peter three five Henry Morris argues that that's describing the earth uh, out of water and in water, so two water sources: the waters below, which make up the oceans, and the waters right. above, right. which represent this canopy. So he thinks Second Peter three five supports that there was a firmament around the earth. One firmament could bound the perceptible universe from heaven. That's Humphrey's view that there's water around the universe in a spherical shape. Another firmament could have bound the pre-flood atmosphere. That's what Henry Morris made popular. Uh, Him and uh, John Whitcomb in their book, The Genesis Flood. And lastly, one could bound heaven under the the Father's throne, like that sapphire pavement under the feet of God in Exodus 24. I think that's the sun in Exodus 24. Mm -hmm. But I think that that reality on Mount Sinai is a type of something else that exists in heaven that perhaps extends underneath the Father's feet. But again, I don't believe the father is described anthropomorphically in Revelation. I think that it sort of avoids that. It doesn't describe his face. It doesn't describe his body. If you read in Ezekiel 1, it actually talks about the appearance of the one who's sitting on the throne above the cherubim. It talks right. about his torso. Okay, It talks about his general appearance. He is the appearance of a man. If you read in Revelation, there's nothing like that. It just says there's one sitting on a throne and they had the appearance of this color that gem, yeah, yeah, this yeah, light, it's, like, it's radiance. Uh, yeah, it's radiance. It's not features being described. In in
1: approachable light.
0: That's right, absolutely. And I think that Christ is the only one that could see the face of the Father within that light. And again, I don't necessarily think the Father has a face, physically speaking. He's a spirit, right? But I think that when it talks about Jesus seeing the face of God, it means that he he can access the nature of God because he is God. And he knows the depths of God,
2: hmm.
0: we don't know the depths of God. Mm-mm. So Jesus knows the depths of God. He's plumbed those depths. He knows everything about the father. This is, I'm not saying that the, God, the father, father is impersonal. He's a person, but the father in all of his inexhaustible essence, the son knows him perfectly. And he takes what can be known to us finite beings. And he brings it to us. He reveals it to us. He's the high priest who carries the knowledge of God to us. That's why he's called the image of the invisible God. He's fully God himself, but he reveals God to us. Uh, He's the Logos, the word. Uh, But anyways, and lastly, in the end, firmament could at the very least apply to the heavens, if only to suggest permanence. So often the Bible talks about God establishing the heavens, establishing, making strong the heavens. The idea is they are firmly established to accomplish God's purposes. Okay, they're not going to pass away when God's not looking. Okay, He right. sustains them. He upholds them. So the word firmament would be appropriate, even if we're not looking at the firmament in a literal sense being solid, uh, the English word would still fit. It would still apply since God does make the heavens firm in a metaphorical sense. That's one argument that I've heard that we could still retain the word firmament, even if we don't believe that there was a literal dome a literal sphere, a literal canopy or anything like that. Uh but anyways, we will talk next week about each view and I'll give you some charts, give you some pictures and uh we'll make sure these slides are put up so that way people who are listening to the podcast can see the slides.
3: No, I'll try not to be so dumb next week.
0: Yeah, we'll try to be a little bit more mature and professional. I can't vouch for Jamie, though. Jamie is just going to be, you know, his two year old self. So, God bless. Thank you so much for listening to us. And hopefully, after all this, you will come back and listen to us again.